0: This is the part in the service where everybody realizes how short I am. Uh, Today we are looking at Psalm 16. Um, So if you can pull that up, I will read it in a second. But just excited again to be in here with everyone. Um, Not everything is put together, um, but we are working to get it ready for... Um, the end of September, to do so. Uh, But now let's look at Psalm 16. Follow along as I read. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones, in whom is all my delight. forevermore let's pray dear god we come before you in awe of who you are god we ask that in this time you you use our hearts to be drawn closer to you god that we can seek you as our refuge god that we can see the beauties of what that truly means in our lives that we can truly rest in you I want to give all the praise, all the glory, all the honor, for you are the only one worthy of it. Amen. What do you think of when you hear the word refuge? By definition, it means a place that provides protection from danger or provides shelter. Now, this could be a physical place, right? Maybe a shelter from a storm or a shelter from an invading force. But that's kind of the physical understanding of the word It can also be more of an emotional or spiritual protection. Maybe it's the protection that provides relief when we are distressed, when we are worried, when we are anxious or scared. So if I were to ask you, where is it that you find your refuge, what would your answer be? If you wanted a gold star in Sunday school, you would say God. And hopefully that's true. But if you think about it, in your life, where is it that you find your refuge? Do you find protection, shelter, security, and things other than God? Physically, that might be your home. Or even bigger still, it could be the country that we live in. Maybe it's more personal. Maybe it's the people in your lives, your family, your friends. Maybe it's the authority figures or political leaders. Maybe it's something quantifiable like the balance in your bank account. Now all these things are not necessarily bad, and sometimes they can be beneficial to us and, and even be blessings given to us from God. But maybe you find your protection and your shelter in them instead of God. When I think of refuge, I think of deep sea fishing. I mentioned this before, but my grandfather was a fishing captain, and we actually called him Captain, not Grandpa. Grandpa. And he would often take us out, and I'm talking out, like hours on end, going further and further away from the shore, so far that, that seeing the shoreline was even a distant memory. And on one trip specifically, I remember getting horribly seasick. It was really bad. There were no clouds in the sky, so the sunlight was just beating down on us for hours. And the rocking seemed more than normal. We were going up and down and up and down, left and right, and it went on for hours, By the time we started going back in and I could see the shore, I was so ready to get off the boat. And finally we reached the dock. I got sick one last time before leaving the boat, and then I jumped off the boat onto dry land. And in that feeling, that euphoric feeling, I was alive. I made it. I collapsed onto the solid ground that was below my feet, vowing to never go on a boat again, only to get on a boat a couple days later, but that's besides the point. It was that feeling that I got. I was safe. That's the feeling I believe we can can get when we set our refuge in God. So refuge in this life, it's going to be something we all long for and we seek, something we cling on to and hold to. And so as Christians, where should we run when we want to find ourselves secure? Where is the source of our refuge? Where does our help come from? In the beginning of our psalm in verses 1-4, through we can find the proper source of our refuge. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord, I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones, in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. So to answer the question really quickly and move on, who or what is the source of our refuge as Christians? It's God, the creator, the sustainer. God, David knows this. He starts off by asking to be preserved and to be taken care of, to be brought to a place of protection. And the only option in his mind is to receive this in the refuge of God. It says, You are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. You hear these types of words throughout Scripture. One other beautiful example is Psalm 73. It says, Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength. Of my heart and my portion. God is the refuge we should seek. He is the source. He is good. He can preserve us. And so David goes on to to talk like this. What does it mean to live in refuge, to live in the refuge of God over the refuge of the world or other things in this world that we often seek refuge in? And he gives two categories. I'm just briefly going to call them the saints in the world. So first, the saints, right? He, he uses this term, saints, or, or these excellent ones. Some commentators would, would translate the, the same word a little differently, and instead of saints, they would say nobles. Doesn't that sound nice? But whatever you call them, it's these are the elevated ones, the ones who are set apart. But what makes David say that, that these people are special? Simply put, these are the ones that David sees as as finding refuge in God. David is excited for these people because they get it. They are resting in the goodness of God and they are living out a life in the protection of God. So then they can show and experience the world with a renewed sense of freedom. They are resting in God's love, mercy, and protection. God is their source of refuge And they, in turn, are able to show that to others, offering it up to all those they come in contact with. And David delights in their work. He is proud of those who sought after God. He is proud of those who have decided to live a life according to the desires of God over the world. Now, the other side of the coin, looking at verse 4. The sorrows of those who run after another god shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. Oof. David wants nothing to do with these people. He doesn't even want to say their name. He's done with them because they have turned from God. They have, they have found refuge in another source or another god. And yes, it's, it's pretty harsh and the contrast between the, these two groups is pretty big. One, David finds all his delight. The others he won't even look at. And it does make sense, too, if you knew what David has gone through, currently going through, and will continue to go through. The bad guys in David's mind, they're really bad. I think it was interesting, one commentator brings a comparison to this part of the psalm to all the way back in Genesis after the fall. Because of the chasing of their own desires, it led to sin, which resulted in sorrows and pains of this world being multiplied, because they pursued other things other than God. So what's being said here is is that the source in which we find our refuge is the thing that shapes our heart. In essence, it defines you. Maybe you've heard the phrase, you are what you eat. Um... Recently, in the past couple of years, in in the Christian world, there have been a couple of books written with the same kind of logical argument. One that I have not read but just came out is called You Are What You Worship. Another one that I have read is called You Are What You Love by James K.A. Smith, and it's fantastic and I would recommend. But the argument in these books follows something like this When we pursue or worship one thing, we, in a sense, become that thing. So if we seek after God, we become more godly. Further example, if we seek after the love of God, we may become more loving. Now the other side. If we seek after the world, we may become more worldly. Or more specific, maybe if we seek after money, we may become more greedy. The source of our refuge should be God above all. And with that, something amazing happens. There are benefits to this, and they are massive. And we probably won't even understand them this side of heaven, but still, let's try to look at them. Let's look at the benefits of refuge in verses 5 through 8. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance I bless the Lord who gives me counsel, and the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. When we look at these verses, I think we can see two types of benefits here. One is focused on the future, and one is focused on the present. So the future... You hear things like, you hold my lot. What does that mean? The, the word can be used in a sense of, of an allotment, a territory given to someone. God is securing this lot. One commentator translates the word differently, and instead of lot, he says destiny. Isn't that beautiful? The Lord holds my destiny. David goes on to speak about how God has eternally secured and holds David's future. David celebrates the fact that he has this beautiful inheritance to look forward to because David has chosen to rest in the refuge of God. He has this bountiful and complete inheritance, one that will never be taken away because it is held by the one who will always remain. Think of the stock market or think of a stock market crash. Maybe some of you have experienced putting a large sum of money in the stock market only to lose most of it due to an unkind dive. However cheesy this may sound, God's investment will never crash. God invests that his promises to his people will never crash. It will always be there. And when we come to a point where we gain this inheritance, we'll be through the roof excited of its increases. I'm going to stop talking about the financial world because I know nothing about the financial world. And most of the information I do know comes from Reddit, which isn't a credible source, so they tell me. <laughs> More accurate to my experience, God holds my lot. And, and the moment I experience this inheritance will be reminiscent of getting off of that boat after a day in the hot sun. Words will not be able to express that feeling when I'm experiencing my eternal future that God is holding for me. This solid land experience is going to pale in comparison to the benefits of God's refuge and the promise that God makes to me for my future. But we can't and I can't be so caught up in the future, right? You can't always live in the future. David is aware of that. And so he speaks to the benefits of the present. To quote Ted Lasso, Today is a gift. That's why they call it the present. In the present, in verse 7, what's going on? What benefits does David receive from God? He gains counsel. He gains guidance and instruction. The Lord is literally leading David throughout his life. The benefits are also for now not just future promises of a grand inheritance. We still need to live in this world. And I'm sure you're aware that oftentimes this world is not easy. It is tricky. We need help getting through it. And hopefully you have had great teachers, mentors, family members, or friends that have taught you along the way. But David is here. He's saying that the one who has instructed me and who leads me the one who brings me wisdom and understanding, it's the Lord. And to access this, to gain this benefit, this reward, we first must come to God as our refuge. On top of that, I think the benefits in the the present get even better. In verse 8, the Lord is in front of David. And because of that, David can confidently say, I shall not be shaken. The Lord will go before me. The Lord will not let me go. The Lord will see me through. And again, this is David speaking. If anyone could say this confidently, it was him because of everything he has gone through. When David says these words, he truly means it. God is his power, his strength, and protection. God is his refuge. God provides him protection. He does promise a grand inheritance. And even in the shaky world, God will instruct him and hold him secure. Those are the benefits of finding our refuge in God. When looking at the present again, I go back to the boat. Now, my grandfather has passed, but I'll always remember those trips. Because even when the waters were rough, when the sun was hot, when when I was battling seasickness, all I had to do was look at Captain. He wouldn't say a single word, he rarely did. But his confidence reassured me that it was going to be okay. If I was hot and not doing well, I would just look to him and he would just point to a shaded portion of the boat so I could take a break from the sun. And yes, I felt horrible, like hot garbage. Yes, I wanted it to be all over. My life at that moment was hard and difficult, but Captain was going to get us back to land. He always got us home. And because of that, my fear of the ocean or the way the ocean could make me feel just kind of faded away. That is what God can do for us in the present. Now because of the refuge we find in God, because of the benefits we can gain from it, we should truly experience joy. So let's look at the joys of refuge in verses 9 through 11. Therefore my heart is glad, my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure, for you will not abandon my soul to shield or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Do you hear those words of excitement Hear these things, my my heart is glad, my whole being rejoices in your presence. There is the fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Do you hear the the beauty and, and the confidence that David has in these truths? The joy is overflowing. And it's not just a portion of him is happy, it's the whole being. David fully expresses his joy, that the joy that he finds when he seeks his refuge in God. He knows that these, these pleasures, they're going to last forevermore. It's not fleeting. There will come a time where for the rest of eternity, he will experience the fullness of joy. I remember going to see the Black Panther movie, and, and we sat right behind a row of young kids celebrating one of their birthdays. And each one dressed up in their favorite superhero. They were beyond excited. They could barely sit in their seats. They were laughing. They were screaming. They were clapping. They were having the best time ever. Their joy could not be contained. They were literally freaking out. And after the movie was over, they got even louder and they ran out of the theater and they started playing as their favorite heroes. That's what it's like to have a whole being filled with joy. You cannot even contain it. But I do know that most things in this life that bring us joy or pleasures, they often fade. Right? Think of an amazing meal you could have. You could be overjoyed in that experience you just had. But what happens later? You get hungry again. David is saying that in God we can fully rejoice with our whole bodies and we can rest assured that he will see us through to a life filled with pleasures forevermore because we will be with God, which is where we were designed to be. And David has this confidence in God. And it can be seen in these verses. You can even look at the verse that says, You will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or let your Holy One see corruption. Now, Sheol, hell, Hades, the underworld, however it's been translated, it's it's the place that people believe souls would be cast when they died. But God promises that He will rescue His people from the corruption and eternal separation from Him. God will not abandon His people or their souls. But he's going to do the opposite. He will bring about life in the face of death. Why? Because he makes way the path of life. The joys of refuge, it's astounding. How is it possible? Doesn't it seem too good to be true? And I'll wrap it up with this. One commentator says this, the psalm begins with expressions of devotion which may be applied to Christ, but ends with sufficient confidence of a resurrection, as must be applied to Christ and to him only. Paul in Acts 2 literally quotes this psalm, and picking up in 29, he says this, Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David, that he both died and was buried, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. In our psalm, David is preaching the gospel before Jesus walked the earth. David is celebrating that God in his grand narrative would provide a way for God's people to live an eternity with him to provide a path of life. And now, David may not have known who Paul was going to be or fully the gospel that Paul was going to help spread. David didn't have the entire story unfolded for him like we do when we look at the scriptures. But David knew. David knew that all I have to do is run to the refuge of my God. He will see me through, he will hold my lot, he will promise me this grand inheritance, he will bring about unspeakable joy. He will bring about life in the face of death. We too can have that understanding, this confidence that David has in God, simply by running to God and submitting to Him, taking our refuge in God over the world, and then receiving the benefits of this refuge and celebrating with an immense joy that only God can bring. Again, I ask, how is all this possible? It's because of Christ and what he has done for us. His life, death, and resurrection, it assures us that the promises that God had for his people in the Old Testament were fulfilled in the works of Christ, and we can rest and be filled with joy as David was here in this psalm, because Christ lives. So if you're struggling to release control, if you're struggling to run to God for refuge, because we're caught up in finding refuge in something else in this world, I just want to leave you with these words as an encouragement from Philippians 3. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Let's pray. Dear God, you are good. You are peace, you are rest, God. We ask that this week you move in our hearts and our minds that that you draw us closer to you that we can rest in your refuge above all. We're going to give you all the praise, all the glory, all the honor, for you are the only